0: It's been six years since we started using the phrase unicorns to describe the giant private companies seeking to upend all parts of the economy. And while a few of those companies have already gone public, last week felt like the official coming out party for the unicorn class. Lyft IPO'd with a value of more than $24 billion. So what happens now? And how many unicorns are likely to follow in Lyft's path? I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to the Readback. Today we're rejoined by Barron senior writer Al Root who's been covering the Lyft IPO for Barron's. Let's start with a pretty straightforward question. What happened with Lyft stock on Friday, its first day of trading?
1: Lyft is likely to beat rival Uber to public markets. After a lot of buildup. The San Francisco-based company becomes the first rideshare startup to go public, and it's enjoying quite a ride on Wall Street in its debut. The shares priced at $72. They initially surged about 20% after the stock opened for trading in the middle of the day, and then they closed up about 8%.
0: We've gotten a lot of IPOs in recent years, right? We've had Blue Apron, Square, Snap. But it feels like there's nothing quite like this recently. What has everyone so excited about Lyft right now?
1: That's a good question. I think what growth investors and other investors who are interested in these coming IPOs feel is that this is like a new era. In the 80s, we had computers when computers were growing, and and maybe Microsoft was the poster child of that era. And then we had the dot-com bubble when everything was going online and the emergence of the internet. We had social media come with Facebook and Google and all the things that we seem to use every day on our phones. You know, between the emergence of social media companies and Lyft, it didn't feel like there was the next big thing. But this feels like it's a new thing. It's the gig economy. It's the service economy. It's the sharing economy. People think like this is the next big deal.
0: And so if you're thinking like an investor, last Friday you had the IPO in Lyft. That's kind of like your day where you say, I see this massive market. This is a disruptive force like nothing else. And I want in on day one. Right. Before we talk more about Lyft and the IPOs, can we just step back a little bit? How does an IPO come together?
1: When companies come public, they decide that they need money to build a factory or build out their network, in the case of Uber or Lyft. And
0: that's really all an IPO is, by the way, right? It's an opportunity for the company to raise another round of funds for their own coffers.
1: Right. If a company is making widgets pardon my expression, I'm an engineer by training, but if you're making widgets and you need to build a plant, you have a few opportunities for money. You can go to the bank, you can go to a venture capitalist, but eventually you're probably going to go to public markets and go to institutional investors who have our cash from our pensions and 401ks and IRAs. That's where
0: Uh, the real billions are.
1: Yes. There's a lot of money in public markets and uh, you'll hire bankers. And what do bankers have? They have relationships with all these institutional shareholders and they'll put feelers out and try and figure out exactly what a new company should be priced at. And then they'll set a price and then they'll ask, well, how many shares do you want? Institutional investing clients of ours. And then the funny thing about IPOs is the book of business or the initial order intake is always wildly oversubscribed. Because there's this game people tend to play that, okay, I'd like a thousand shares of this company oh, but it's going to be really hot, so I I better ask for 2,000 shares. And then the banker will come back and say, well, the book is two times oversubscribed. I say, oh, uh, I want 4,000 shares now, (laughs) all hoping that you get your initial 1,000 shares.
0: And along the way, the bankers, if there is that demand, are slightly bumping up the price at which they're going to sell this stock, right?
1: Right. You know, one of my favorite and most famous examples uh, was Netscape, the stock that kicked off the dot-com bubble, and its initial pricing was going to be $14 a share. Uh, And then just shortly before it began trading on public markets, they raised that to 28. So that's how difficult it was to price that. And then the stock in day one trading at one point was up 168%. So that's how difficult the job it is sometimes to price an IPO. With the
0: stock jumping initially 20% and then closing the day up 8% on its first day of trading,
1: is Lyft happy with that? Is that considered a successful IPO? I think so. I think that's a success. I think when you look at IPOs, you know, it's almost more art than science. The bankers want to give their institutional clients a reason to be happy at the end of the day. They want to give the companies a reason to be happy at the end of the day. If the stock jumps too much, you know, maybe the company selling shares thinks they left too much on the table. Right. Um, It would be like
0: selling a house for half a million dollars and then seeing the exact same house from your neighbor later that day go for
1: twice that. That's exactly what it's like.
0: And to talk a little bit more about the dot-com bubble, because that really was this crazy heyday of IPOs that all turned so south. In 1999, there were 476 IPOs. This is according to data from Jay Ritter, the preeminent IPO scholar. 476 IPOs with an average first-day return of 71%. You were getting these massive pops simply because they probably had internet in their name. For sure. That makes the Lyft IPO... I mean, that tells me that there's still some sanity in the market these days. People said, sure, we love this company, but you know what? We're going to be rational about this. Should that give us some comfort that we are in no way in the back to the dot-com days?
1: Well, I think there's two points. One, I'm not sure how many uh, companies are slated to go public, but I I don't think it's anywhere near 100.
0: Yeah, I think it's below 100, right. Uh,
1: So that gives you some context for how uh, wild that time was. Uh, But also, those companies are probably much smaller on average than Lyft. I mean, Lyft has a $25 billion valuation now. That's a very large company in public markets. And there's been so much money in venture capital lately that these unicorns, private market companies with valuations north of 1000000000 billion, they've been staying private longer. And there's an open discussion on whether that means that most of the value has accrued to the venture capitalists. So back to that initial example of you can go to the bank, you can go to venture capitalists, you can come to public markets. The pool of of cash available in these giant venture funds, that's a lot of money. Right. And you can stay private longer and, and you don't have to produce quarterly reports and you can carry on your merry way.
0: Lyft doesn't have anything close to profits yet. So how does Wall Street, how do investors actually go about valuing or justifying the current value of Lyft?
1: That's a good question, Alex. You know, the simple answer is usually price to sales. So they'll take a look at revenues and they'll take a look at history and how things have traded. One of the analysts that I talked to, you know, his target on Lyft is four times 2020 sales. Again, he doesn't expect profits in 2020, but you know it should be said that in the past, these situations have worked out, right? I mean, everybody knows Amazon. It's, it's depending on the day, the most valuable company in the world. Jeff Bezos didn't run the company for profitability. He, and they didn't have profit for years. They didn't have profit for years. They, they ran it for market share. He explicitly wanted to grow as fast as he could. It's kind of like the great line from Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. And looking back, it looks like that was the right strategy to pursue. So often, yeah, these companies will be investing for the future and worried less about profits early phase of their life. I th- I don't think that's any different in the Lyft IPO, but there are some open questions about profitability going forward.
0: Yeah. So let's talk, I mean, for all the excitement about Lyft, what are the things that could derail the company going forward?
1: I think three things investors should watch for with Lyft or Uber. One is the drivers. There's an open question of whether they can maintain their contractor status, which is important for benefits and costs for Uber or Lyft.
0: And when you say contractor status meaning they're they're not full-time employees.
1: They're not full-time employees.
0: And there's some risk of regulation there or there's been a lot of pushback on income inequality type issues, right? That yeah, minimum
1: them. wage, uh, healthcare benefits, there's been small lawsuits from a select group of drivers in both Uber and Lyft who, you know, are seeking benefits. We're not sure where that's going to go. But I think drivers, from another angle, are a risk. I mean, most people that we've spoken with uh, don't really see big profits until autonomous driving is a reality, because the largest expense for Uber or Lyft is drivers. You mentioned autonomous
0: drivers. Are we really thinking about a future that's not that far off, where Lyft has self-driving cars just coming to pick us up?
1: Well, it's certainly one of the big trends in automotive markets today. Officially, there's levels of autonomy that authorities define, and they go from level one to five. Level five is the driver does not need to be engaged at all. You could be facing the other direction, chatting with your friends, and the car will do everything, react to every situation successfully. Level four is the driver should probably still be in the front seat, but doesn't have to do anything unless there's an emergency. Mm -hmm. Level three autonomy is the driver needs to stay engaged at all times, but there's a lot that the car's doing for you. We have level three autonomy right now. Okay. When I was at the auto show in January, some engineering firms were talking about, you know, we have sort of level three and a half on the driving board. But depending on how fast you think technology advances, it's two to eight years away
0: and that's left wanting to be at that level five point right so they could just dispatch a car pick you up drop you off you never see anyone else in the car with you right uh, and you're sitting in the back seat
1: yep you could design cars slightly differently so it would be a little less of a barrier to sharing with people you don't know it could be front seat back seat setups mm-hmm. and if it's an electric car there's no engine you're effectively <laughs> driving around in a little box and if you think Lyft,
0: you know, which today is now $25 billion, if you think this is gonna be, I don't know, a $500 billion stock one day, that's only gonna happen if you get to this autonomy place, right?
1: Oh, for sure. If I channel my inner growth investor, I look and I say there are multi-trillion dollars worth of cars sold every year. Uh, people spend in the U.S. alone, uh, over a trillion dollars on personal transportation every year. When this transformation is complete, Uber and Lyft are going to be X percent mm-hmm. of that. That's 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 what they're trying to achieve. You know, on a combined basis, right now, let's say Uber and Lyft are worth 150 billion dollars. Yeah. You're saying, oh, these two companies could you know be worth half a trillion, a trillion dollars, five, ten years down the road.
0: But it's going to require some big technology advancements.
1: Requires technology advancements, but that's how the math works, right? Right, You say, oh, there's trillions of dollars in this marketplace already. Uh, And then the second thing for Lyft is Uber. It's a much bigger company and it's a formidable competitor. So the question for investors is, is the ocean big enough for them both to survive in or will they end up cannibalizing their profits away?
0: Interesting. And, And Uber will probably, we don't know exactly, but Uber will probably have their IPO in the coming months, right?
1: Early reports said they were neck and neck. I would expect their IPO in the next few months. Yeah,
0: okay. So we'll know a lot more then. We'll get more on Uber's financials as well, just like we have on Lyft.
1: Right, and we know basically that Uber is about four or five times the size of Lyft. Okay, and much more international, right? Right. One of the key differences from a strategic perspective is Lyft is almost exclusively focused on the U.S., and they're making incremental investments in things like scooters, and Partnering with public transit, Uber is global. They just spent $3 billion to buy a ride-hailing service in the Middle East, and the United Arab Emirates. So there's two distinct strategies, one global, one local. Both feel like they know what they're doing, but it's a, it's a point of difference. And it will be interesting to see how investors react to the Uber IPO because it'll be basically a real-time vote on who likes whose business model better.
0: So now that Lyft is public, probably a lot of, certainly Barron's readers and a lot of podcast listeners have a big question. Should they buy Lyft stock today?
1: Well, I always like to say you you are who you are. So if you're a growth investor, you probably have no problem with these valuation metrics. With some risk tolerance. Yep, and if you're a value investor, as one person told me, you have to take your heart medication when you see the valuation. But one thing you can do to not miss out is, you know, you can wait a little bit. We looked at six IPOs in the past in some of these big eras of, of computers and dot com bubble. And in almost every case, waiting a year or two didn't cost you a lot. You still had market leading returns if you bought these things a little further down the road, and what that gives you is, uh, is time to say, okay, is this business model working or loss is shrinking? Do I like management? So you don't have to take all of the risk, and you can still get much of the reward.
0: That seems like a great piece of insight. Thanks so much for joining us, Al. This was really fascinating.
1: Thanks, Alex. For
0: our ongoing coverage of Lyft and the Unicorns, please visit barons.com. One housekeeping note before we leave. Within the next week, we'll be updating our podcast stream. The move sets us up to keep the readback growing. But depending on your settings, your podcast app might automatically download all of our older episodes. To avoid this, just go to your settings and limit the number of episodes you download to, say, the three most recent. That'll keep only the new episodes coming straight to your feed. I'm Alex Ewell. Thanks for listening. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutthof. We'll be back next week.